Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Jesus, as portrayed in the gospel according to Luke, talks a lot about money, caring for the poor, and how to use power in a helpful way. Today we conclude our sermon series on afterthoughts and prayers, exploring what actions we can take to be the hands and feet of God in the world. This reading is the third and final story about wealth and money Jesus tells to a large crowd gathered in Luke 15 and 16. Listen to what God is saying to you. There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and who feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, whereas Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being comforted, and you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevasse has been fixed between us and you. Those who wish to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so they don't come to this place of agony. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives. Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of the scripture. My name is Erin James Brown. I serve as the Director of Discipleship for Urban Village Church, all four sites across the city of Chicago. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm so excited to see you this morning. Will you pray with me? Thanks, Drew. God who knows that there is so much stored up, enough money, enough food, enough goodwill and cheer for all. We pray, God, that you release the doors and let all of that goodness flow out. Let us not be fearful, holding it in and hoarding it for ourselves, but be people who share it with others. Be people who are authentically in relationship with one another so that we know when we need to share it. So be people who can sense your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, as the director of discipleship, I travel around to all the different sites. I have 
the luxury and the benefit of seeing that our community, <clears throat> this bold, inclusive, relevant community, exists not just here in Hyde Park, which is the best neighborhood of all the neighborhoods in <laughs> Chicago, but this community exists throughout the city. This work that we are doing of working towards afterthoughts and prayers is not just our work, but a work we participate with our siblings in Christ. And all of our sites, they all read the same strange and terrible story this morning. The man sat on the ground because of it had been a long day of standing and shuffling. His family didn't know where he was, although he knew that they were worried about him. And he couldn't stand to have them see him with these blotches, these opening wounds marking his face, forever changing the perfect cheeks that his mother used to kiss when he was born. And so he pulls the blanket up a little further around his head to shield his eyes from his neighbors and strangers passing by. If someone were to look him full in the face, he fears he might cry and the crinkles that form around his eyes would cause the wounds to open again. And so he covers himself and he avoids eye contact. And this lack of human connection, just even the lack of eye contact, the lack of it sends him into a deep depression. Making yourself smaller, making your body take up less space makes you feel as if you should be smaller, as if you should take up less space in this world and in this life. And he didn't intend for his life to turn out this way. And sometimes when he's sitting because of the thirst or the hunger or both, he slips into this feverish dream that reminds him of his life before the smelly sores, life that was surrounded by family, life of meaningful work, life filled with lamb barbecues on the weekends and sweet spices and bashful smiles shared with a crush he was developing on his neighbor. And sometimes these fever dreams stir him awake into the more reality-based dreams of crumbs dropped by strangers passing by or an invitation from a hospitable neighbor. And so he watches the ground Scans for a happy face, a helpful face. And I have to be clear with you about how I read the Bible and this passage in particular. I don't read this story as a literal telling of something Jesus witnessed and then retold to the crowd around him. Nor do I feel like Jesus fell into a glassy-eyed trance, kind of like that's so raven looking off in the distance with big, big eyes telling the people that this is what the kingdom of God will look like, and he stares. No, actually, Jesus is doing something a little more nuanced here. He's using a literary device of his day as a way to tell this story. It's a literary device people would have been familiar about, knowing that this was not a literal place or a little literal people, but this was a way of communicating what God intends for the world. So Lazarus, is a common name meaning God helps. Lazarus, the poor man with these oozing sores that probably curious and dumb dogs come by to lick, he is important and honored because these heavenly beasts come by and carry him away into the afterlife. And so Lazarus, the one whom God helps, even though he doesn't speak, is important. And the man 
the other man who does not have a name. He puts up lots of barriers around himself. He has the barriers of the gate around his house, his table where only few are invited, the dogs, maybe these are his dogs. This man puts up barriers, but he is not nearly as important. In death, the men reverse roles. The one who lives on the mercy of others is now seated at the seat of honor, and the one who had the seat of honor and reserved it for himself finds himself thirsty. And Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many children. You know Father Abraham. Father Abraham acts as the host at this place of honor for this martyrs, this banquet of martyrs, not not banquet of martyrs, banquet for martyrs <laughs> in the afterlife. And what kind of afterlife is this? Because the rich man can actually apparently see what they're doing and call out and be heard. Does that mean it's two separate worlds or is it all combined? And so the rich man apparently sees and calls out to Abraham, still avoiding eye contact or any kind of contact with Lazarus, now he is the burning man, the man formerly known as the one who was rich, begs for Lazarus's nail bed, probably one that he had just had done with acrylics to be filled with a little bit of water, just enough to quench his thirst. And Abraham replies in his best Mama Roo voice, saying, Honey, Lazarus is not your servant anymore, okay? I can't do the... Okay. I can't do that. Can you? That's Father Abraham can, don't worry. And so the story in Luke then takes this uh, Charles Dickens-like plot twist. The rich man then asks if he or Lazarus or maybe the three ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future can go back to his siblings and try and convince them and scare the stuffiness out of them, his Scrooge McDuck-like siblings. And Father Abraham replies with a snarky kind of thing I love that biblical people do, saying, your siblings have all they need if they follow the teachings of Moses and the prophets, which is basically the ancient Near Eastern Jewish way of opening the library and reading somebody to say, you have all you need. Like in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15, it says, now if there are some poor persons among you, Say one of your fellow Israelites in one of your cities in the land that the Lord has given, that your God is giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your fellow poor Israelites. Or also, that's, that's Deuteronomy is sometimes ascribed to Moses. And also in Isaiah, one of, the latter, uh, one of the major prophets says, isn't this the fast I choose, releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke. Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? Luke, this gospel writer, has done this throughout his, uh, his gospel. In Mary's song back in Luke 1, where she shares of the miraculous conception and the lowly being lifted up, Luke speaks this same thing. Or in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6, where the poor will inherit the earth, but woe to the rich. So this story found in Luke's gospel follows a similar pattern of reversals. A great reversal of the poor and the rich being switched. God lifts up the lowly and pulls the proud down from their thrones. 
God fills the hungry with good food, and woe to those who have so much they don't share it. Lazarus then represents another example of God's reversal roles, God's version of justice. When God, get, God gets everything God wants, the poor will be cared for and provided for. When God gets everything God wants, we will live in authentic relationship with each other, being a community that says one will not be poor. You will not be poor here. Not because you've done anything special, but because you are God's chosen child. When God gets everything God wants, the wealthy will feel the sting of inequality because inequality feels... Let me say it again. When God gets everything God wants, the wealthy will feel the sting of equality, which feels like oppression for the most privileged. Lazarus, for us, is a reminder of God's dream for the world. The sick, the hungry, the homeless are for whom our community exists, with whom we should be in relationship and offering healing to. That sounds easy, right? And kind of general, like you hear at most sermons. Uh, so I'm not typically the pastor here at this site. We have a lovely pastor. Her name is Pastor Emily. She is out on vacation in Hawaii right now with her family, taking a well-deserved break from uh, doing preaching the good news to the community of Chicago, from doing pastoral care, and from working towards God's justice in the world. And so we wish her family well and rest. But... Before she left, Pastor Emily composed a weekly email that UBC folks from Hyde Park Woodlawn receive, and you too can receive it. If you fill out that tear-off slip and place it in the offering basket as it goes by, we would love to send you a semi-annoying weekly email every week just so that we can get to know you better. In this week's address, Emily composed an email saying, it can be difficult to know how to respond to homelessness, particularly in a city where homeless seem to be nearly everywhere. In 2017, reports showed that the number of homeless people in Chicago exceeded 82,000, and of those, over 18,000 are students in the Chicago public school system. 82,000 people. That's about 32% of our city's population. In addition, it's, about estimated, it's estimated that about 25,000 LGBTQ youth experience homelessness in the state of Chicago. It's hard to make these estimates about who and how people experience homelessness, though, because homelessness is kind of a moving target. It is constantly changing. Housing and zoning changes. Increased rent and property management companies pushing out longtime residents cause not only a shift in the structure of the neighborhood, but also people's ability to live and rest and call a space home. And it's also hard to have a grasp on what it means, what it means to experience homelessness because there's so much shame attached with it, attached with one's experience of the loss of home. And it prevents people from reporting it or even sharing it with their closest friends. Because the truth is, many of us live on a spectrum of homelessness. Where the trouble to afford housing or the threat of losing housing or the protection of our housing is a real and persistent threat 
That's whether you own your home or whether the bank owns your home and you make small bitty bitty payments to pay off on it, or maybe it, you rent your space or maybe you're currently living with your family members or maybe you are just grateful to have someone's couch to crash on. The idea of home is a place of identity that is a constant and moving target. And not all of our siblings of faith and fellow citizens of this country look like Lazarus, those sitting on the corners with wounds we can see asking for help. While the sores of the homeless can be the actual wounds of chapped hands, sores can also be the deeper gash of lack of resources and a lack of the authentic community where you can come and present your problems. The idea of a home as a place of identity as a moving target in this life is one that is also not true, a moving target of home. Because, friends, we are called to be a community that calls this place our home. Because we trust that we believe in a God who provides us a home of rest and restoration and full inclusion in God's kingdom. Because God's kingdom, this is God's kingdom 101, just to get a little uh, theologically nerdy on you, God's kingdom is not something that's far off and distant. It's not, but it's more like us being the rich man calling out to Father Abraham. It is something we can see. It is something that is so close. We are to be the people pulling God's kingdom more closely in with our space here by participating in acts of justice, by also being in relationship with one another. We are a part of God's kingdom here and now in this place. So we are not to be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Instead, this community is to be one that represents God's reversal of desires. So if you are afraid every time you go to Hyde Park Produce or your favorite Aldi or Whole Foods, if that's where you like to shop, if you are afraid every time you go to swipe your card that it might get denied, just because that's happened before or because you've had, lived with that fear for so long or because it is a real threat now, if you live with that financial insecurity, this is your community. This is the place where you get to find home. You should find that you can be trusted here, that you are not shamed, but this is a place where you can mourn, you can have a meal, and you can have people working towards a living wage on your behalf. Because this is a place of, filled with people who are not scared. Because we worship a God who is not scared. We know that there are times when we were struggling in the past and God came through for us in this community. And so we are real and honest with each other. And that's the untying of yokes around our lives that separate us from being vulnerable with one another about the spectrum of homelessness that we might be experiencing. But I want to be careful to say that if you're the person who swipes your card and feels the fear of it being denied, it's not just your responsibility to bring that up here in this community. No, actually the responsibility is on those of us who consider this place our home already. If you consider Urban Village Church to be your home, the place where you continually feel restored by the good news of Jesus, it is our responsibility to offer to those who are suffering. It is our responsibility as the community of God, as those gathered here, to have the courage to say, I will not be tempted by a lie of scarcity. I believe I serve a God who multiplies fish and loaves, a God who welcomes all to God's table, a God of abundance. We are to be a community 
And we have the responsibility to people for whom others can bravely share their problems because we've already shared our problems ourselves. We've been the example of that vulnerability. We have the duty to sit with others, trying not to move people to a place of acceptance, but allow time for mourning and become spiritual nurses applying balms to the wounds of the soul. And so it's up to us as the community of God to see the vision of God's great reversal, to prophetically act in people's lives, in each other's lives, and to speak that existence into our world. And so we release the captive teacher or social worker. We got a social worker back there, or to be. We release them of their fears of how they're going to pay for supplies or help all of their students to succeed by schooling ourselves as a community on how much a Chicago teacher makes. Do you know how much a Chicago teacher makes their first year? $50,000, which is not enough to live on your own in the city of Chicago and pay for your supplies. And Chicago social workers, do you know how much they make every year? $52,000. That's also dealing with overcrowded classrooms and not fair pay and so many long working hours. And so we are to be a community that says you don't have to be ashamed of being a teacher who is working and grading papers till your fingers are bones. No, we are proud of you for protesting for increased wages. We stand alongside you, and we see your protest as an opportunity to care for each other. And so we call our legislators and demand that more work be done. To and then we call you for a drink on Friday night to provide a stiff drink because we know this work is hard. And so we untie the ropes of legislation, uh, legislation and keep working for trans women of color and other sexual minorities without work or without acceptance from their family because we say this is a community, this is God's home where transgender and gender non-conforming people are not only welcomed, but people are also celebrated as teachers. They teach us what the community of God and the complexity of God's beauty looks like. And so we set free people who are transgender and gender non-conforming and allow them to call this place their home because they find home in us. We set free the single parents and the underemployed parents and the just regular everyday parents who are already suffering under the crushing weight of an unjust capitalistic system in which people are only valued by what they can produce and not valued by the emotional labor of raising lovely human beings. And so we say you are free and celebrated here for the hard work you do that society doesn't recognize. Instead of celebrating the work of parenthood and providing trust, instead, we are a community, a home, celebrating the work of parenthood and providing a time-tested emotional and physical space to support families. So today we conclude our sermon series entitled After Thoughts and Prayers, and I have lots of thoughts and prayers about after thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers are a very honorable and good thing. It offers comfort to those who are suffering and it communicates our needs to a God who cares and wants to hear. And we are not to get stuck in a cycle of afterthoughts and prayers, but we are to pull our butts out of our chairs and get to work on changing systems that require so much of our thoughts and prayers. And there are a lot of opportunities of an afterthoughts and prayers kind of lifestyle right here 
This, if this place is going to be the kingdom of God, is going to be a place that provides home and shelter to people who are suffering, there are lots of opportunities right here to be living in that action. We offer a meal after service. It's really good today. Somebody really wonderful prepared it. <laughs> we offer a meal after service. And this is not just a cultural building block of our time and community with each other. No, this meal may be for some of us. You don't have to raise your hand. This may be for some of us the only decent meal you'll receive today, and you will receive it. That's what this meal is after worship. This meal after our service might be the only time someone can have kind conversation with another person today because they are so lonely and lost in themselves. If that's you today, you get to laugh and sit around a table with others. This meal is for you. This community is for you. A meal after service is a transformational, small but radical act after our thoughts and prayers. And so consider maybe providing a meal next time, showing up for the meal and being that person who offers a smile to another person. When you volunteer as a greeter, there are more opportunities, so I'm just going to keep going, just keep paying attention. When you volunteer as a greeter and you set up those awkward banners that stand out there on the corner and blow in the wind, or you fold bulletins and you smile at people as they awkwardly come off of the elevator, you offer deep hospitality to those who have been bruised and burned by communities in the past. Those who are wandering into a place saying, can I, be trust, can I trust this place here? Will this place be my home because I have not been able to trust in other places? You are the front lines of God's radical hospitality, God's radical resistance saying, yeah, you can come and experience the good news here. You have found it. Here is where you can be involved. This can be your home too. So by greeting someone and offering a smile and asking their name and offering a conversation, a greeter reminds others, new and longtime attendees, that God's home is here, that people are welcome. This is an afterthoughts, prayers kind of lifestyle. There are so many other ways, whether it is serving communion that says this meal, you might have been denied this meal in the past and that was wrong, this meal is for you. Let me hold it out and offer you the cup. Let me bring the bread and smooth the tablecloth for you. You are one of God's blessed creatures. And there are opportunities outside of this community as well. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development wants to raise the uh, rent on people living in low-income housing. And so there's an opportunity to call HUD this week and let them know, using your voice to use actions, afterthoughts and prayers, people who are suffering, people who are trying to raise their family in these houses, people living in low-income housing, you deserve, this is unjust, is what you can say. You shouldn't continue to hurt struggling families. No, get more creative, Office of Housing and Urban Development. Get with God's vision for this world. And so it requires us to be a community of authenticity, being willing because authenticity comes when leaders, the people who call this place their home, go first. That's the struggle and the benefit and the blessedness of being a leader. You have to say, ah, oh, F it, I'll do it and go first, being vulnerable with each other. To say, there was one time I was in the crevasse, 
I needed people to climb down in there with me, to get behind, shoulders behind me, and push me out. And you too might be in the crevasse, and it is still not separate from the kingdom of God, but we will get in the pit with you, push, and leap you out. Because this is community, and this is home. So we use our time and talents and power and money in service to one another to help create this home even stronger. So I'm going to finish. You received in your bulletin this uh, real janky but also kind of creative-looking piece of paper. And this is supposed to be kind of like when you go to the grocery store and somebody is looking for a roommate and they want you to tear off uh, their phone number. (laughs) These are opportunities of service. Some are to our community here. Some are to the outside world. But these are opportunities of service. Whenever you do something of service, it is not just of service to that other individual. It is not just of service to making this place a better world, but it is service to God. You are offering your body and your time and your talents and your money to God. And we don't often get to recognize that. And so you get to take one of these. Maybe you provided a meal today. Someone is providing a meal today. You can tear it off. And as the offering basket goes around in a minute, maybe if you don't have money, you put in that you provided a meal. Or you provided... You gave online, that's one of the options. You have something to give this week in the offering basket. You shared money with someone in need, you provided a drink. That drink does not have to be specified as LaCroix or a hot beverage or a stiff drink. But these are ways that we are creatively being of service in this world. And so, community friends, let us pray. God, it takes a strong leader to say, I'll do it. To share about the time that we too experienced homelessness. Like the time when I was in high school and my parents couldn't afford to take care of me and I had to move around. We share those experiences with one another, not because they label us as something shameful, but because we know we open up space for other people to share their same experiences of homelessness, of lostness, of needing community and home. We know that we are an authentic community that can hold these thoughts, these prayers, and that we are a community that is moved to action, using our time and talents and money and service to you, O God. Because ultimately, God, it's all for you. We are your people, and you are our God. In Jesus' name we pray.